Hi, I'm Eric Gurna of Development Without Limits, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. Welcome again to Please Speak Freely. This is your host, Eric Gurna, and this is a special episode of Please Speak Freely, uh, sponsored by the Partnership for After School Education, PACE, here in New York City. Um, and I was really happy that they agreed to do this. Uh, PACE has run for many years the PACE Setter Awards, which is an event that, as far as I know, is unique in the field of, of after school and education in that it honors... Uh, youth workers and educators for excellence in their practice, for their passion, for their vision. And it's very specific that in order to be eligible to be nominated for a Paysetter Award, you have to work uh, a good amount of your time directly with young people. So, you know, whereas a lot of uh, big fundraising events and other sorts of galas honor people who are you know, well-known or have a lot of money or um, have been, you know, leaders of big organizations. This event is all about the richness of the quality of the work and the, the right there at the ground level at the point of contact with young people and communities. Um, and so it was one of the first ideas I had when creating Please Speak Freely was to see if PACE would be interested in sponsoring it for the PACE Setter Awards because I knew it would give me a chance to talk to some really great youth workers and educators who work in and run after-school programs. And I was not disappointed. Um, you know, PACE has been generous in sponsoring the podcast, and I was able to interview each of the award winners, all five of them, and um, then sort of put it all together into one show. So um, I'm really excited about this episode, and uh, I'm also... Uh, excited about the the guest blog for this episode it was written by Jody Grant of the After School Alliance. Um, after School Alliance are the advocates for after school programs nationally. They work in Washington D.C. and in states all over the country to ensure that policymakers and other decision makers really know and understand the value of after school programs. They have been working to try to protect 21st century community learning centers and protect the youth development approach that after-school programs bring, not just let us be sort of swallowed up by the larger culture in schooling today. So um, we appreciate them, and I'm really glad that Jody agreed to write uh, the blog. And um, you know, without further ado, uh, enjoy the Pace Setter Awards and this episode of Please Speak Freely. I'm here with Allison Overseth, who's the Executive Director for the Partnership for After School Education, PACE. And Allison, thanks for being on Please Speak Freely. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for doing this, Eric. So, um, Allison, the, your enthusiasm and energy for the PACE Setter Awards is quite evident when you're, when you're on the stage and when I see you inter interacting with the award winners. Um, what's so special about the PACE Setter Awards for you? Thank the 
the after-school field, and particularly the outstanding people who we get to honor every year, for their just extraordinary work. And as you know, Eric, these folks don't go into this work to be recognized thanks or, or honored in any sort of way, and therefore it is perhaps even an extra pleasure to be able to throw really kind of a spectacular party in their honor. And such good work is being done in the field, it really, it's just, it's, it's just exhilarating to be able to celebrate it. And something that has always struck me about the Paysetter Awards that's that's different from a lot of other um, big galas and fundraisers is that it honors people not only who are, are doing the work and not just um, you know contributing financial resources, but it on it's it's very specific that in order to qualify for a Paysetter Award, you have to actually work directly with young people a certain amount of time. Why is that so important? Well, we figured that the executive directors of most agencies and top leaders within the field have the opportunity to, to meet folks from different walks of life, to have a chance to uh, more often, perhaps if not in the spotlight, certainly and certainly never as much as they deserve, but certainly have more of an opportunity in their leadership position. And what we want to remind people is what it takes to actually work with a child on a daily basis. And, you know, we can all get warm and fuzzy about that, but honestly, it's really hard work. And there's sort of two things, I guess, that come up, and one is just that it is hard work, and we have to appreciate that and recognize it, celebrate it, and support it, but the second thing I think that's really important is within that room, and we have folks from all different perspectives of New York City, so there are are some big-time people from the business world, from philanthropy, from private and public foundations, family foundations, as well as people from higher education, city government, and a whole series of other things. And it's very important for them to recognize that the folks who are working every day with kids in after school are not doing this because they couldn't find another job, are not doing this because they, you know, couldn't be an investment banker. They're doing this because they actually are highly skilled and are very caring. And that we as a city are actually depending on them in ways that I don't think we often appreciate. And uh, the the Pacer Award event itself really centers around the speeches that each of the award winners gives. And, and this year, with the um, Pace's sponsorship of Please Speak Freely, we're also going to get to hear in a more casual and formal way, um, you know, what each of the winners cares about and, and what makes them um, really stand out in their field uh, can you tell us something about how the, the winners were selected? Well, it's a fairly rigorous process. Each of the winners are uh, nominated by someone they know, sometimes anonymously. I think at least two of the winners had no idea they had been nominated this year, which is really kind of extra fun. Uh, but they uh, are nominated by their peers generally, sometimes by their executive directors, sometimes by participants, all of which is fabulous. And what we receive, wow, well over 50 uh, nominations, and then we whittle that down to probably sort of the top 20, 25 from the staff of PACE, and then we send that to a selection committee, which is always two members of the funding community, um, two members of the PACE board of directors, and one past winner, one past PACE center winner. And it's a rigorous process, and we give them some basis of how to think about this commitment and who, you know, some context, if you will, for the work that's being done in after school. And we then, they choose their top five, each each uh, judge chooses their top five and then their second five. And we come back and tabulate the results and you will, as you see, just spectacular people. There are 
commonalities among the people who win our Pace Center Awards, I have to say. Almost all of them are, first of all, wildly dedicated to children and youth, but they also tend to be folks that are often described as going beyond the call of duty. They are not active just in their programs, they're active in their communities with the families and often way beyond anything that a job description is going to, to cover. Well, great. That really sets the stage. And, and now let's hear from the pace setters. Thanks, Allison. Terrific. Thank you. And thank you for doing this, Eric. These folks cannot get enough um, people understanding what they do and appreciating what they do. Well, we're going to get it out there. Thanks. So I'm here with Dina Hellman of the Goddard Riverside Community Center. She is the director of the Star Learning Center and uh, one of the Pace Setter Award winners. So congratulations. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, I'm happy that you were able to come in and talk to me today. We're here at at uh, the Pace offices, and we'll be talking to a few of the other winners today, a few of your colleagues, um, and talking to a couple more later in the week. But if we could start out, maybe you could just tell me a little bit about what you do. Well, what I do is I direct um, an after-school and summer tutoring program for low-income children. Um, we range in age from grades 2 to 12, with an occasional adult thrown in who you know, needs some assistance. Um, these children are matched one-to-one with volunteer tutors. Um, they see their tutor two hours a week. And they do everything from early reading to studying for an algebra or a chemistry regents. Um, anything that the child needs is um, provided at the tutoring center in that one-to-one format. And the beauty of one-to-one, of course, is that the child gets undivided attention mm-hmm. for two hours a week, uh, something that kids don't often get in this crazy world that, sure. we, that we live in. And how long have you been in that job? I've been there for seven years. Great. And, uh, and this is my retirement job. You're also, so what did you do before you, for your well, I'm a lifelong, pre-retirement I'm job? I'm a lifelong educator. I uh-huh. started off as a public school teacher, uh, moved into administration, um, and my last job before I retired was uh, assistant superintendent for schools uh, for instruction and personnel. So I went from district-level administration uh, down to this wonderful little place where children and parents hug me, which hmm. is really nice. That's interesting because I, I was about to say, and what led you to make that move from sort of this, this big admin job to the ground level? And I think you just, you just answered it. Yeah. It's, um, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I retired. And this job, just, I just found it. Um, and it's probably been the best job I've ever had. Um, hmm. It's very rewarding because it is ground level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do get to see um, children, families. Um, and the interesting thing also is we see over 150 volunteers a week. So, And these people come from every walk of life, including high school kids doing community service, you know, young professionals giving back to the community, uh, retirees that want to share their knowledge and wealth mm-hmm. um, with students. And so that aspect of the job, recruiting, interviewing, and working with uh, volunteers, is quite interesting, as well as obviously working with the children and the families. Mm-hmm. And are you, are you working in the community where you live, or do you live nearby? I or do. Are you connected I, to the? I do. I walk to work. 
I don't know why is, I, I is, how I knew that. I just which is could really, sort of tell that you felt real connected to the community that you're working in. I do. I mean, it's a it's a it's a wonderful, vibrant community. And the interesting thing is, I work I work and live on the Upper West Side, mm-hmm. uh, which is as you know. Tremendous changes in the last twenty to thirty years, sure. um, and people think that now there are only rich people on the mm-hmm. Upper West Side, mm-hmm. but of course that's not true, and there are still many people living in poverty on the Upper West Side. They're just not seen as mm-hmm. much. Um, although our children do come from all over the city, the preponderance of them are mm-hmm. from the West Side of Manhattan, mm-hmm. um, and in fact there are many families still in great need in this community, um, and we're happy to serve them. It's uh, it's interesting to me what you described as your trajectory of sort of you started out in the classroom, I, I did. guess, and then you moved. To, were you a principal or I was school a, level administrator? I was a director of special education. Okay, and then moved into uh, assistant superintendentship. Uh huh. So you know, it's a it's a career path, right? It is. It's the it's in some ways a typical career path of moving from um, the classroom into administration, and you had a successful career getting to that you know that echelon of assistant superintendent. Um, but you described your current work as maybe the best job you, you've you've had, and it's it's always been fascinating to me that we move the people who are oftentimes most dedicated to the work out of the direct work, and I think this happens not only in education; it happens other places too. Engineers become executives because they were adept at their job, and so they were moved out of their actual expertise. And you were able to sort of move back to it. It's true. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I loved my work. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I actually loved being an assistant superintendent. Mm-hmm. And I loved being able to work with teachers on curriculum projects and influencing, you know, large groups of kids and, and what happened with them. Yeah. Um, but the day-to-day work of, you know, meeting, 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 um, running, 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 office, 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 um, is very different than actually working directly with children and families. Yeah. And so at this point in my life, I love the fact that I have come back and have been able uh, to do this. Mm-hmm. It strikes a chord for me personally because I often think about the this, like, you know, do you do you go for creating a situation where you can have a big, broad impact, if possible, or or the deeper impact where you're sort of grounded and, and you have roots? It's a big question of mine, and, mm-hmm. I've str- and I struggled with it the first few years. I felt maybe this is wrong for me. Why should I be doing this when I could be having a bigger impact? Mm-hmm. And maybe I should be in a place where I'm talking about policy um, and so on and so forth. And I've reconciled that, mm. and I've come to realize that it's just as important to do what I do mm-hmm. and make a difference in one child's life as it is to talk about policy. Um, so I'm happy doing what I do now, and I have come to the conclusion that it's okay to make a difference on the ground level. Do you have some kind of sense of uh, why you're being honored in this way? Well, <laughs> um, I would hope to think it's because the the Star Learning Center is a place that is meaningful in the lives of children and families, and that what we do there is not just about putting a child and a tutor together, but actually impacting the life of that child mm-hmm. and perhaps their family, because not only do we do uh, do we 
provide tutoring services for children, but we advocate for families as well. So I think um, one of the things that goes above and beyond what we do is, you know, my desire to kind of right the wrong sometime that mm-hmm. I see um, of children in public schools who are just not getting their fair share. Since I have a knowledge of what's supposed to go on in public schools, um, and often our families really don't know how to access services. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do act as advocates. So I will write letters for families, for parents on behalf of their children. I will recommend that families and help them through an evaluation process. Mm -hmm. I will walk through and get legal services for families who I feel didn't get their fair share Mm -hmm. um, and help them walk through that process. We're in the process of doing that now with a youngster who clearly public schools have failed this child. And mom just doesn't speak English, doesn't know how to, you know, get anything more for her child, but just came and cried Mm -hmm. and said, not only isn't my child learning, but my child is getting bullied in school. Mm -hmm. Um, And that child is now going to be placed at a private school at the city's expense uh, based upon what we've done Mm -hmm. with that that family. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing that that attention to the individual you know, which goes back to why I like doing what I do, yeah. um, is is something that can be done there. You know, and I, we can't do it for everybody, mm-hmm. but we can do it for a number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, I hope that I got nominated because we do go above and beyond the just the small mission of tutoring children. Well, thank you so much for being on Please Speak Freely, and congratulations on the Paysetter Award. Oh, thank you so much. I've really been thrilled, and it's been a great honor for me. I'm here with Patrick Pinchinot, who's the Beacon Director at Queens Community House and a Paysetter Award winner, so congratulations Hello. for Hello. that. Thank you so much. How are you, Eric? How's good, everything? good. Thanks. Good, Thanks good. for coming in to talk to me. Thank you for your time. Appreciate yeah. it. So um, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you do. Well, um, I'm the Beacon Director for Queens Community House. Uh, our program is located in Forest Hills on Austin Street, and I supervise uh, a program of group leaders, uh, peer counselors, leadership specialists, recreational specialists, um, uh, CITs, counselors in training, volunteers. My job is to oversee the program, um, to, to help with the establish the vision for the program, and also mm-hmm. to make sure that we're meeting our goals, and, and, and to do youth development as a whole. Um, also, not only youth development, but community building, uh, because Beacon programs are comprehensive um, centers where we not only focus on youth, we focus on adults and the community as a whole too. So, mm-hmm. it's a it's a comprehensive um, program, uh, and it's a community hub. Great, and. Um how long have you been with Queens Community House? I've been with Queens Community House since 1995. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, Great. it's been a journey. What's What's kept you there so long? I love the place. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. I love the place. But um, I think that everyone I've met has been real genuine and uh, about the work. And, and when they work and they do the work, um, they're passionate. Uh, it feels real. Feels mm-hmm. real. It feels like you know you're doing the right thing. You're, you're fighting for the right causes. Um, you're really there to impact the youth and, and people in general. Um, there's something that Jack Welch. Uh, you know, are you familiar with Jack Welch? The GE guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about. Um, he looked at his organization as the people factory. You know, they mm-hmm. help shape and build people, and that's sort of like how I feel about Queens Community House. You know, mm-hmm. it's a people factory. We work with people. We're, we're there to help them. 
you know. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And, you know, I started out as a youth, oh, mm. some youth worker, so. At Queens Community House. At Queens what, Community House. What was Forest Hills Community House? At Forest Hills Community House. Yeah, when, okay. uh, when, when Lou Harris was the executive director uh-huh. several years ago. And um, they kept giving me opportunities to, to contribute, to be a part of the family, to be a part of what they were trying to accomplish in the community. Um, a lot of professional development opportunities, mm-hmm. a lot of capacity building. So, you know, it, it, it just felt, it, it felt like the right place to be. It still feels like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you've you've been in the field long enough, and been in particularly in the field in New York long enough to see a lot of growth and development as a as a field yes. beyond just the yes. Queens Community House. Yes. Um, do you have any thoughts about sort of where we've where we've gone, where we're going, where we seem to be headed as a field? I think we're in the right place. I think we're continuing to make strides. I think that um, there's there's a lot of great organizations out there, umbrella organizations, advocacy groups, com- capacity building organizations, mm-hmm. um, organizations that are on the ground doing the work. You know, I started. I remember going to the Pace conferences back in the '90s. Yeah. Um, you know, Teachers College, um, Hostos Community mm-hmm. College, and I've seen it. I'm seeing it all evolve. Um, I think there's more of a, uh, a need and and uh, for continuing to professionalize the field. We are professionals, but just getting more people and society as a whole to view us as that. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing more conferences um, pop up, more symposiums, uh, you know, just more uh, venues and events that help to promote that. I'm seeing that over the last several years, and I think um, as we continue to align ourselves, I think uh, we will continue to professionalize the field and ultimately have everyone view us as a profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's growing, and I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. We have a lot of great people that are ch- that champion this type of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think elected officials are starting to take uh, notice. They've been taking notice over the last couple of years. Um, but we just needed to translate, you know. Mm-hmm. So, How do you think your experience coming up from being a summer youth employee to being now, you know, through all of the positions you've had, now being a Beacon director, mm-hmm. How do you think the experience of actually being a participant in the program impacts your perspective as a as a manager, as a director in the program? You know, I always tell my staff, um, and and, I, and this is it's sort of like a cliche uh, comment that's said in the field: um, kids vote with their feet. Mm-hmm. I was a kid once. I was a I was a youth once, and I knew what I liked. Mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted to be a part of, and um, when given those opportunities, and when given those forums that are aligned with what youth want, then they will participate. And they, you know, and then you have to, but it's not just participation, it's engagement. So um, I think my experience being some youth worker and having a lot of upward mobility in different positions has taught me that, um, how to connect with them, how to ask the right questions, how to do assessments and figure out what it is they want, how to go about um, accomplishing that. And, um, and then bringing that back to my team and establishing a shared vision. So I think it's really been helpful. I've had several positions. Uh, I was a participant. And so I, I, I've been on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. And um, I think, again, also it shows my agency's, uh, you know, investment in, 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 in the work that they really, you know, develop someone. Mm-hmm through the process. Yeah. Um, so I think it's real helpful, you know, like I, I know what the work is, you mm-hmm. know, and even when I supervise my staff, you know, it's easy for me to, it's easier for me to supervise them because I've had some of these positions. Right. So it's like, I know what you're going through when there's challenges, you know, and there's a certain type of dialogue and, and um, interaction that I think they appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's not like I just came in and I'm saying, you know, you don't know what you're doing and, you know, you know, and I don't know nothing about the position. Right. You know what I mean? Right. One of the other things that I talk about a lot is trying to keep my finger on the pulse 
I think that that as a manager and as a leader is is one of our main goals and initiatives in our work is keeping your finger on the pulse, knowing what's happening, knowing what's going on. So I have a lot of meetings, um, but I have, you know, I have a young staff, so mm-hmm. I also have a lot of informal meetings because mm-hmm. you know, I'm hands-on. So I'll go to their activities. I'll, I'll co-facilitate with them you know, so I can see what's going on. We'll have a debrief after that, even if it's only five, ten minutes. Just getting an idea of what's happening in the, in the moment. Right. And then also have an opportunity outside of that moment to reflect and debrief. So that's one way how, I get, how I'm like conscious of what's going on with the activities. Um, I do have a good support system, and I do have a good leadership staff. Um, and my my thing that I like to you know preach is a shared vision. It's not just my vision. It's we need to buy in together to a shared vision for the program and for the yeah. overall success. I come from a neighborhood where we don't have a community center, mm-hmm. um, where there wasn't a beacon program, and we had to travel to the nearest community center. And you know, a lot of my friends, childhood friends, just didn't have those type of supports and those type of avenues, not making any excuses for them. But, you know, a lot of them really didn't make it. You know, mm-hmm. there, was, there weren't other opportunities in that regard. Um, so I always said, you know, if I had an opportunity, this was what I wanted to do. Why do you think that the, your colleagues who nominated you, why do you think they nominated you? You know, I, I, think, it, I think it's a great acknowledgement um, and recognition on their part. Um, I had no idea that I was being nominated, mm-hmm. um, so it really took me for surprise in that regard. Um, but it, it's 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 a huge reward. It's 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 it's, it's like people notice mm. that you know it's a lot of time, twelve, fourteen hour days. You know, we don't get paid overtime. You know, it's a not for profit field. Yeah. You know, you know, there's no overtime really. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a lot of extra time that you put into it. You know, I got to call home and tell my wife, hey, listen, I can't make it. I can't do this. I can't do that. But it's something that. I feel connected to, invested in. It's like a baby of mine as well. So I think um, just for your, your colleagues and your peers to recognize that and, and want to nominate you, it's, it's, it's a real humbling moment. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm, I feel real gracious. And um, it's huge. It's, it's just huge. You know, I watch these award shows on TV, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, real excited for the pay yeah. setter, you know? I'm like, wow, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. I, w- I was saying to your colleague, your your fellow award winner earlier, just that uh, it's it's such a nice event that you know honors the people who are really doing the work um as opposed to just honoring people who have contributed in other ways which is important to do that too but yeah. it's more rare i think that that yeah. an event like this honors the people yeah. who are really doing the work I'm, i just feel honored i'm, I'm honored to yeah. be I'm, all my a lot of my colleagues are going to be in this room people i haven't seen that i want to see wow yeah it's yeah. huge you know it really is well congratulations thank you and uh thanks for taking the time to talk to me thank you so much eric appreciate it I'm here with Sadie Mahoney, who's the Youth Services Director for the Kingsbridge Heights Community Center. So first of all, congratulations on winning the Pacesetter Award. Thank you. It was yeah. a big surprise. Did you not know you had been nominated? No. Um, uh, my full-time staff were the ones that initiated um, you know, writing up the piece for the award, and they didn't tell me at all. So the day I got Marcia's call, I actually thought it was a joke. So oh, that's it funny. took me really by surprise. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you do. Okay. Um, it's changed a lot what I do over the years. Um, I actually started as an intern at the center when I was in mm. graduate school, and then I worked elsewhere for three years and sort of stayed in touch with folks at the center. Mm-hmm. And they kept reaching out to me because they knew I loved to work with teens, and um, there had been, I guess, a vacancy 
and and the position of the person that oversaw the teen program for an entire year, and part of that was due to funding cuts and not really much to work with um, mm-hmm. by means of running the teen program. So when I started there, I was the teen program coordinator, I think, um, and it was like me and one youth worker, and we had the task of sort of building the, the program from scratch. Mm. And it had been once this really thriving and great program, and so we had a model to work with and I, you know, ideas, but we didn't have a lot of funding and resources. So I would say that <clears throat> back in the day it was more sort of doing everything, jack-of-all-trades, um, trying to raise funds and gain awareness for the program and partner with the youth and run the activities. And over the years, um, I've definitely taken on more of the administrative aspects of the program, um, planning activities, supervising the staff and interns, um, more program development pieces. But mm-hmm. I still have a lot of work with the kids. I run the youth council, which is the student government. Mm-hmm. Um any specialty projects that we start up new, I'm usually the one that gets them going, and then I sort of hand them off. So right now we're doing a project with special needs youth where mm-hmm. some of the teens are mentoring kids who have autism. Um, so that's been really fun because it gets me back running in the gym and with the kids again. How long have you been at, at Kingsbridge? I've been there 10 years. So I was there as an intern, I think, in 97, 98. And then I I went and I did more clinical work. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I came back to Kingsbridge, it was right after 9-11. I was Mm -hmm. on my honeymoon, and I was due to start right when we got back. So Mm -hmm. it was um, September of 2001, Um, so close to 11 years now. And what keeps you there? Um, I love the community-based type of work. Um, There's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of room to sort of figure out what the young people need and create the program with them. Mm. Um, It's very family feeling and family oriented. Um, And I think that helps a lot because I'm away from my family. You know, I'm I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And so it helps to have sort of a family away from your family type of field. when you're at work, yeah, um, because work becomes much more than than just work when you mm-hmm. don't have your family and, and a lot of friends around and stuff. You mentioned that you're able to develop the program al- alongside the young people. Mm-hmm. What does that What does that really look like? It's It's interesting because it's something that that is talked about a lot in rhetoric, you know, mm-hmm. involving youth and program design. But what does right. it really look f- like for you on the ground? Um, again, that's another piece that's developed. In the beginning, what it looked like is that I, it, during my interview with the executive director, I was literally shown a letter that had been written by a then 19-year-old who was sort of an alum in the program and was the only staff member re- remaining at the time. Mm. And the letter was an appeal to the executive director asking him to give her the position and share it with someone else with just one salary because they were so sick of people coming in and claiming that they were going to work with the teens and grow this great program and then the people would just leave. Mm. And so they were so sick of that that they made this appeal to the executive director. And that young woman actually was one of the first pace setter award winners back when she was 19 before I started at this at the center. Um, so I see this letter in my interview and I'm the question they're asking me is like, how do you join together with this young woman and, you know, help her trust you and help her see that you're in it for the long haul and that you really want to work with the young people and develop something good. And so I don't know what I said in the moment, but my first step, like my second day on the job when I first met her was to say, like, I really need your help and we need to figure this out together. And we start, started with her foundation and her her memories of when the program had been really great and had a lot of funding and resources and staff and when it was really booming 
um, and kind of, you know, teasing out from there, you know, what do we like, what do we want to try and start? Um, and then using all of her peers and folks that were still kind of teens and young adults that worked in the after-school program there or worked in the special needs program to say, okay, hey, guys, Teen Center right now is a big gym with a bunch of 20-year-old guys running around and, like, the girls from the neighborhood watching. This is what it is now. What do you guys, you know, think it should become? Um, and then slowly, you know, walking through the doors was the much younger set, the tweens, you know, the middle schoolers, and then, of course, the high schoolers, and then their voices started to be added to the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so nowadays, I guess what it looks like more is um, our youth leadership council that I mentioned is the student government of our program, and it still has sort of all levels of youth, um, from sixth graders all the way up to sometimes even kids that have not graduated from high school that are disconnected youth, but also um, a lot of high schoolers. And they sort of act as the voice of their peers, and um, they work at all of the events. They plan and implement the events and the fundraisers that um, we have. They um, develop the trip ideas. They advise the staff when things are not going right in program. They figure out what rules need to be changed, and they help troubleshoot you know, problems that come up. Um, you know, but that youth council voice carries over into all of the activities that we do. So we always have a lot of um, youth choice and youth decision making in, in what we do. So. And is that aspect of things, uh, do you feel like that's a critical element of, of the success of the program? I do. I mean, you know, sometimes when I meet people out of youth services, they're like, well, what kind of teens do you work with? Are they teen parents? Are they substance abusers? Are they dropouts? And I'm kind of like, all of the above and the regular kids that are going to school and doing well. And I think that that's a confusing idea for folks because when they hear I'm a social worker, they assume that the funding is very specific and Mm -hmm. that the the focus of the program is very focused on one um, type of youth. Um, and it's really not. And so then the question becomes, well, how do you get all of those mainstream young people and everyone in between into one place? And it's almost like they have to have buy-in and they have to really love and want to be a part of the place and, and think that the place has something to meet their needs. And if you don't have that buy-in, then why are they coming in? If If they're not a teen mom that needs to come for parenting support, you know, then what are they coming for? Um, and I guess it's it's very broad, and they're coming for whatever they had established, and they're like, wow, this program is really meeting, you know, what I needed, even if it's originally just to play basketball. Right. And then they come in and they start playing basketball, and they realize, oh, I can also talk in guys' group about what it means to be a young man growing up in this community. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the assumption is that they are coming to get something that they lack, you know, that they, they are coming to get something fixed. Right. Um, not that they're coming because there's something awesome happening right. there. Which is the difference between that traditional, you know, problem-focused social service model and more the youth development approach is like let's put into place things that maybe more affluent or middle-income youth naturally have in more affluent communities just to develop things that are naturally happening positive with the young people, which is, which is interesting because I'm a social worker and so my background is more of that, like, here's a problem, let's work on the problem. Um, so it was pretty eye-opening for me. I was like, wow, there's this whole niche, you know, within mm-hmm. social services and this way of working with young people where I can incorporate the counseling and sort of that, you know, you have a problem and you want someone to help you with it, but also there's, there's so much more. Why do you think... The, your colleagues who nominated you for the Pace Sitter Award uh, picked you. Why did, they, why did they nominate you? 
Um, it's a good question because the the staff member that started the process is very new. So if anyone, she probably knows me the the least. I, when I asked her about it, she said that like the week before she had been talking to some of the other staff about me and they had been filling her in on like stories about me from over the years. And it just so happened that she received this email from Pace about the award nominations and whatever she read kind of matched what she had taken from those stories. Um, and so then she took it to the other staff and they were like, yeah, definitely. Like if development is behind it and helping us, let's do it. Um, what I felt when I saw the thing that they had written is it more spoke to like us as a team. So it was a little humbling because I was like, this isn't what I do. This is what we do, you know? And they were like, well, this is what we do as a result of your leadership. Like you motivate us to work in this way, which was even more of an honor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they picked you. They, <laughs> they picked me. <laughs> but it easily could have been any one of them. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I'll learn a little bit more when I talk to them, I yeah. guess. I think it's a challenging question to ask, especially mm-hmm. when it was a surprise for you. But right. um, but whatever the answer is, congratulations on getting the award. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Of course. I'm here with Mi Jung Yu, who is the Hodori Program Manager and Mental Health Counselor at Korean American Family Services Center in Flushing, Queens, and is also one of the Pace Setter Award winners. So congratulations to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it's exciting. The first thing I want to ask you is, is just what do you do? What's your job? My job is the manager of after-school program. So mm-hmm. my, program, the, my program is the Hodori after-school program. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what kind of organization is Hodori? Or, uh, well, I'm sorry, what, the, Hodori is the program. Yes. What kind of organization is the Korean American Family Service Center? Uh, the, our, agent, our center... Uh, is uh, working with the domestic uh, victims of domestic violence. Oh, okay. Yes, and that is the uh, main work. Mm-hmm. And we also have a children program, youth program, and a self-sufficiency program. We provide the victims of domestic violence mm-hmm. uh, to teach them English. Oh, okay. And the computer. Uh-huh. Yes, to because they need to survive by the independently. Yeah, sure, to become yeah. self-sufficient. Yes. Uh-huh. And how did the organization end up running after-school programs as well? Because the uh, the parents, uh, the usually the immigrant parents, they uh, it is a kind of common to work long hours. Mm-hmm. So those the families, the children need to a safe place to develop their uh, ability and skill. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we uh, our after-school program is very effective for them. Uh, Korean-American, usually Asian-American parents, really, really they are interested in the, uh, improving their children's academic skill. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, our program is on, the only free after-school mm-hmm. uh, for the especially Korean American immigrants children uh, in Queens community mm-hmm. so but the other school is usually they get the, some get the fee from mm-hmm. the parents okay. and then they provide more academic uh, assistance right yeah. so the parents are paying and what parents want is more of the academic 
Yeah, but sometimes so, the parents, even they have a uh, struggling with the financially and some right. of the immigrant issue they have. Mm-hmm. But they ask us sometimes we pay a little more mm-hmm. and provide us some academic support. Okay. But uh, we encourage them to uh, understand our program. Mm-hmm. So first of all, children need to uh, improve their uh, behavior and mm-hmm. uh, emotional stability, mm-hmm. and then they can uh, improve their academic skill. And what's the response to that? If the it, it seems to me that the the norm. Uh-huh. Is one way to do it, and I know that that has a that has a heritage in Korea, in South Korea as well. That there's a lot of after school uh-huh. programs there uh-huh. that are um, academic focused. Uh-huh. Um, if that's sort of the norm um, amongst those organizations, they're mostly for fee organiza- fee paying uh-huh. parents that sort of demand this academic focus. Uh-huh. And your organization has this other approach. Yes. What's the response been to that approach? Uh, the parents, uh, they. First of all, parents told us always, I love the Hodori after-school program. Mm-hmm. But a few parents, first they enter their children to our program. They worried uh, their children reduce their academic skill. Mm-hmm. But after that, the time goes by, and they understand that their children, uh, we provide a lot of enrichment activity, sure. and then children feel very confident. Mm-hmm. They have, uh, they, they are, uh, most of them improve their confidence mm-hmm. and self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, at the fifth grade or, or fourth grade, mm-hmm. the parents see their academic skill also uh, improved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the, they're starting to see a connection there between what they get out of the social and emotional skills and the yes. enrichment and the mm-hmm. confidence and mm-hmm. self-esteem that they build up and then also improving their academics as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Um, do you do you have a sense of why you were uh, nominated by your colleagues to win the Paysetter Award? Uh, I don't know exactly, but uh, I'm, I uh, have worked at my agency about uh, seven years. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, my first position at the, my center, I worked with the victims of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And this experience uh, led me to work with our after-school children and their family. Mm-hmm. And I really uh, love working with our children and the families. Mm-hmm. So I think my core workers know what I, what I, I am doing. So they, I think, uh, nominated me to the pet setter. I really love working with the children. Well, congratulations again on, on winning the Pace Setter Award. Mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing you at the event and talking to the people who nominated you. Yes. And thank um, you. thanks for coming to talk to me. Thank you. So I'm here actually by telephone with Fabian Miranda, who's the Arts and Cultural Education Director for Ifatayo Cultural Arts Academy. Welcome, Fabian. So uh, I would Fabian says nice to be with me again <laughs> because I uh, I actually recorded a lovely conversation with Fabian at the Paysetter Awards event a few days ago and uh, due to some technical problems on my part that interview is not uh, not listenable um, so Fabian was kind enough to um, get together on the phone and have that conversation again so thanks a lot for for doing this Fabian. I mentioned your title, Arts and Cultural Education Director at Ifitayo Cultural Arts Academy, but 
um, that does not do justice to what your work is. So tell me a little bit about what you do. Well, as the Arts and Cultural Education Director, um, my responsibility is oversight for, for our programs, which include our Rites of Passage program, um, Sisters and Sisterhood, and I and My Brother program um, that serves over 220 young people um, into and through adolescence, our um, Cultural Arts program on Saturday, which offers weekly Saturday classes, including dance, guitar, drumming, visual arts, drama, creative writing, our cultural heritage program, and our Ifitao Youth Ensemble. And prior to um, having this August position and responsibility uh, with Ifitao, I'm actually a founding parent of Um Therefore, I've been with Ifitao for almost 23 years. It will be 23 years in May, um, bringing my own daughter to Ifitao because at the time that I first found out about Ifitao, I think Ifitao had been in existence just maybe um, a couple of months, and I was looking for an organization that I felt um, whose mission and um, philosophy really reflected the kind of environment I wanted to bring my daughter up in community. And by the way, the name, um, the word Ifitao itself actually means love is it And I, I feel like for me, when I first heard that, it took me a moment to sort of absorb that. So say that again. Say what Ifitao means. Um, it's a Yoruba word from West Africa, and it means love is enough for joy. And it really captures um, our nurturing approach to what we believe is absolutely essential to empowering our youth and redefining our community development. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a lovely word, but it's, as, as you had said before, it's an even more wonderful idea. Um, what's kept you at Ifitayo so long? I mean, I understand how you came to it in the first place and helped to really build the place, but over 20 years to be connected to one uh, community organization like that uh, is, is somewhat rare and certainly requires there to be a real bond. So, so what is that bond about? that we live in today, we find that our personal lives, our professional lives, our um, cultural distinctions, uh, our spiritual act, um, advocacy, our political intention, um, it's much easier to see your life seamless in all of these areas. And for me, Ifeitao really personified a mission and philosophy which placed um, the empowerment of our youth and the healing and development of our community as paramount focuses for um, an organization, not only to um, seek its own sustainability into the future, but to empower youth and families um, within a community to find um, a level of um, empowerment in the different areas of their own development. Um, for instance, I started here as a parent and I then became a volunteer. And so in this circular model of our organization, um, I found myself at the outer periphery as a parent and then moved um, slowly but surely um, closer to the center of the organization as a um, teaching artist and then a senior faculty member and then um, 
now in this position as a cultural arts and arts and cultural education director. And I find that the opportunities um, have not only been for my own daughter, who matriculated through most of its programs and uh, became a professional um, dancer as an artist, but was also honed in the philosophy of bearing the responsibility to understand that to whom much is given, much is respected. And so this cultivation of understanding that when we, that which we are given, we should um, feel free to give back to those who may be um, less fortunate or may not have the opportunities that we've been given. And in in being with a with an organization that serves young people over all those years, um, you, you've you've seen the the field sort of change around you. Um, there's been a real after school field that that's grown up around a lot of community organizations like yours. A lot of those organizations these days are faced with a lot of pressures to focus more on providing um, more narrow academic support than um, the the more holistic cultural and creative resources that you all provide. Um, have you felt those pressures at all, and, and where do you feel like your organization fits in within that sort of culture? Well, I know that Ife Tayo has, um, from its inception, really understood the necessity for a balance between um, every aspect of culture, spirituality, academic, and financial empowerment. And therefore, those um, streams have found a really amazing synthesis represented by the programs that we offered. And um, I don't think that we've veered anywhere away from our course. If anything, we've become that much more adamant and um, look to ourselves to continue to improve our services to uh, not only our youth and families, but even internally um, within our staff development. That's inspiring because a lot of programs uh, feel feel the pressures in such a way that they end up sort of changing their identity. I feel that a lot of programs change their identity based on uh, the perception that funds and resources are scarce. Um, but it's inspiring to hear that you've you know stuck to your core philosophy and been able to to thrive that way. Um, I'm wondering what you think about this uh, this award the Paysetter Award that, that you were nominated for and received, and, and why you think your colleagues nominated you for this award. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a little bit more difficult to speak to. Um, well, as you know, having been with an organization for 23 years um, definitely puts you in a place of assessment, evaluation, and scrutiny. <laughs> and all of that um, being to ensure that every single individual uh, works as a part of this very um, well-oiled, strategic, um, I don't want to say the word machine, but, well, technology then. That's, we see ourselves uh, as technologically astute, but relying on very ancient technologies to implement our strategies for excellence. Um, one of the things that I think has been, has really contributed to Ipetayo's sustainability and its longevity, qualitative longevity, is the fact that we empower every single member of the organization to have a voice uh, within a structure that we actually identify 
as an Mbongi, which is an ancient Kikongo technology that allows for um, open, authentic, and um, very honest communication from every sector of the organization, whether it's a child five or six years old, uh, whether it's a member of our board, whether it's um, an administrative staff or a faculty member. And um, I think these are very important tenets that contribute to Ipetao's strength and in so doing um, reflects our desire to um, kind of walk our talk. But I do understand that um, being in this organization for 23 years and for me, I think that my non-negotiable standards for excellence in my own life um, is reflected in um, the relationships I have with everyone I work with, my, my um, students, um, my colleagues, um, our parents, um, the community, and I have absolutely, sometimes much to the chagrin of my own family, um, I have uh, no reservations about being there for any one of our children at any time in any capacity. There's just no, there's no compromise for me. And I think that um, my colleagues um, recognize that and um, wanted to acknowledge me for the, the work that I've done. It doesn't even seem like work when you are immersed in understanding that you can play a most integral, um, pivotal role in the lives of, of the children that we serve in our programs. I really wanted to say in, as well how much I appreciate having been honored by the uh, Partnership for After School education and all of the work that PACE is doing to ensure that this kind of work is continued and that those people in the field, so many people who may not be acknowledged in one way or another through PACE's services are acknowledging them and us through the professional development training opportunities that they offer. So thank you so much to PACE. Well, thank you and congratulations on winning the award and thanks for taking the time to talk to me.